trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hello there and welcome to the show. This is where wrong thinkers from all walks of life gather. First of all, to find out that they're not alone, but secondly, to get a little better grip on reality. I'm glad you found us, however you found us. There are some great sponsors who make this show possible. It would mean a lot to me if you could reach out to them, whether it's to do business with them or just to let them know that their message is reaching your ears. They include lifesavingfood.com, monticellocollege.org, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Where to begin today? I think we're going to start with this. The mask is off, so to speak, when it comes to politics. Yeah, it's not about protecting our natural rights. It's not about correcting actual wrongs, you know, in the pursuit of justice. No, politics today is more about punishing and coercing those who don't agree with us. Got a great article here from Justin Begley from Young Voices asking, have we reached the end of reason in policymaking? And I think you're going to see what he's talking about here in the examples given. So with renewed mask mandates and guidelines in place, Justin Begley says, our policymakers are showing Americans their abandonment of reason. In fact, he says we're living in an age where reason is no longer a virtue, but a vice. In our culture of confusion, elected policymakers influenced by unelected government bureaucrats have abandoned their duty to institute policies that actually help Americans choosing instead to make policy performatively, that is, to impress or appease a small minority. So they make policy not on the basis of reason and scientific evidence, but on the basis of a post-truth ideology where objective truth exists but is disregarded as unimportant. In fact, we see this in the redefining of science, as whatever experts like Dr. Anthony Fauci and Dr. Rochelle Walensky say. Regardless of if their statements are factual, rather than maintaining a systematic study of the world through observation and experiment. He says, we see this post-truth definition of science play out in the handling of COVID-19 policy. The fact that mask mandates are not particularly effective, especially against the highly transmissible Delta variant, is of little concern to policymakers. They aren't following the science. They're following fallible scientists, exalting the experts in blind faith. Now, he says, consequently, the public messaging and policy positions impact the way people think. In fact, he says, Americans specifically, what Americans think, what we believe to be true, how we make decisions. Thus, objective truth has become whatever the experts say rather than what the science actually says, resulting in a technocracy rather than a meritocratic democracy. Sorry, that was a mouthful. These experts are taking advantage of Americans who are looking for something objective to hold on to by advising performative policy rather than good, effective policy. He says, unfortunately, performative policymaking is not a new phenomenon, but it is becoming increasingly pervasive as the culture of confusion persists and as policymakers ignore truth to chase what they desire, namely adoration from the experts. 
Now, he points to the new mask guidelines and mandates for both the unvaccinated and the vaccinated as an obvious example. Policymakers reasoning for such guidelines, the science with no additional explanation. So, for example, San Francisco, San Francisco reinstated its mask mandate for all indoor public settings, despite boasting a seven day rolling average death count of zero. U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy went as far as to say that people should be wearing that mask even if you are fully vaccinated, wearing it outside. This, is, this was said in an interview with MSNBC. And apparently shutdowns are not off the table either. In a press conference on Monday, Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that while the Biden administration does not want more shutdowns, we are going to be guided by the science, guided by our public health experts, and we're not going to take options off the table, what they may recommend. So the Biden administration's giving authority to unelected government bureaucrats with agendas to make potentially detrimental decisions that impact everyone's lives because of science. Yes, that's in quotation marks, whatever that means. Mask mandates and lockdown measures at this point are patently unscientific, void of reason and inconsistent with the data. When the lockdown measures and mask mandates were originally implemented in March 2020, New York and California were among the worst states in terms of COVID-19 deaths and cases, despite having some of the most restrictive mask and lockdown policies in the country. When several counties in each state locked locked down again in November and continued to maintain mask mandates, daily cases increased by 555% in New York and 1,090% in California, while Florida, which did not lock down or have a mask mandate, saw increases of 537%. In Texas, when the state removed its mask mandate on March 2nd, daily cases continued to decline, dropping 84.94% through June 15th. Now, that's significant because June 15th is the day that New York and California removed their mask mandates for vaccinated people. Between March 2nd and June 15th, New York and California daily cases fell 95% and 74% respectively. With a mask mandate in place, and Texas and Florida cases declined by 85 and 86% respectively, despite the absence of a mask mandate. Further evidence that the mask mandates are unnecessary and ineffective. He says continuing to push masks does little to undermine people's perceptions of vaccine efficacy and annoy people who are already protected by the vaccine. He says vaccines are remarkably effective in reducing the probability of infection and the severity of illness if infection occurs. They're also robust to variants of COVID-19, including the Delta variant. What's more, vaccines are widely available in over 50% of the population and roughly 75% of those above age 65 are fully vaccinated. And according to Dr. Marty McCary from Johns Hopkins, more than half of those who haven't been vaccinated have natural immunity, a truth largely ignored by those experts and policymakers. Thus, it's clear that implementing new mask mandates and guidelines is absurd. It shows that politicians have bent a knee to a group of experts armed with post-truth ideologies who feed the culture of confusion to influence politicians' beliefs and consequently their policy. Now, Justin Begley says we need to return to using reason in the way we form beliefs and make decisions. 
He says Americans ought to constantly evaluate what is true to check if our policymakers are acting in our best interest, which more often than not requires an acceptance of truth. Otherwise, we too will be sucked into the, the culture of confusion with no hope of return to reason. I think that's an excellent piece, and I think it, it correctly outlines a big part of the problem. I also think that uh, Justin Begley's very diplomatic. I try to be diplomatic. I don't think I can be as diplomatic as he is. But it's very clear that there's an element of control in so many of these policies that are either being implemented or bandied about. And so it brings us back to, okay, so what can you do about it? I mean, I can sit here and complain about it, which I think I do a pretty good job of doing that. But more than just complaining about it, more than just pointing out, well, here's what's wrong. The question that uh, really rests on each one of our shoulders is, okay, but what are you going to do about it? And this is kind of a tricky area because I can't, I can't tell you, well, here's, here's what you should do. This is the, the correct thing to do. And, you know, I, I don't know what is best or what your, your sense of risk is, what you're willing to accept in terms of risk and what you're wanting to avoid. That's not my call. I would ask you to consider this. And, and it's entirely possible that I'm wrong, but I would ask you to consider, are the policies that are being proposed or that are being forced on us, one or the other, are they something that violates your conscience or violates your personal autonomy to make decisions about your body and your health? And if the answer is yes, then I'm going to suggest you should feel no shame whatsoever. You should accept no shame, no matter how furiously it's proffered to you from people who are saying, well, you have to do this or else you're a disease carrier and, you know, you're, you're, you're a grandma murderer. You don't. But if you're thinking, well, you know, maybe I need to push back on this or maybe I should indicate I'm not going to comply, I'd like to make the suggestion that uh, it's always easiest to stand for the things that you understand best. So if you can't give a clear, you know, a clear answer as to, well, what exactly are you doing this for? What's the purpose behind your resistance? It might be time to do a little bit of homework. Not that you have to justify yourself to everybody, but just so it's clear in your mind. Just so you know what your line in the sand is and why it's there. Does that make sense? It's less about winning arguments with other people, and it's more about being true to yourself. Because that is a lofty goal. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Whatever platform you are listening to this program on, be it terrestrial radio, streaming networks, podcasting, we live in a great time. There's a, there's a lot of great opportunities and ways to get the information out there to a public that is looking for truth. And I hope you're finding truth in, uh, in the words you'll find in this program. I want to mention that uh, LifesavingFoods.com is one of my sponsors. I'm very happy to have them on board. I have been a longtime believer and a practitioner of personal preparedness. 
And food storage is a big part of that. That's, you know, it's it's not so much about I got to be a hoarder. I got to hunker down. I got to stack my cave full of acorns for the winter. You know, I mean, there there's some elements of this, but above all, it's about being prepared for life no matter what comes. And when it comes to feeding yourself, that is a pretty important thing. Hungry people, well, let's just say it's when you're really, really hungry, it's a lot easier to care less about other things like morals and you know the the, the laws of, of society and and you know the golden rule when when you're starving so i would encourage you to go to their website there's a link in the show notes at the brianhideshow.com that's lifesavingfoods.com they have a a wide variety of food storage packages that you can choose from you don't have to buy a big year supply all at once although you can if you want but if you find something that fits your budget When you go to check out, be sure to enter the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, for 10% off your purchase. Again, you'll find notes, you'll find the link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Now, if you're thinking about learning a second language, I mean, that's a pretty cool thing. A lot of people do that just to keep their brains supple. But if you're going to learn a second language, may I suggest Newspeak. Might be wise to bone up on that because that is kind of becoming a de facto second language. For us, there's a great article from Thomas L. Knapp, and this is titled 1984 and 2021. We're doing Big Brother's job for him. He says George Orwell's classic dystopia, 1984, describes a future as of 1949, the year of its publication, in which a totalitarian state attempts to control both present and future by modifying the past. The novel's protagonist, Winston Smith, works at the Ministry of Truth, rectifying past news accounts. So here's a quote from the story. The Ministry of Plenty had issued a promise that there would be no reduction of the chocolate ration during 1984. Actually, as Winston was aware, the chocolate ration was to be reduced from 30 grams to 20 at the end of the present week. All that was needed was to substitute for the original promise a warning that it would probably be necessary to reduce the ration at some time in April. End quote. Now, Thomas Knapp says that's disturbing, yes, but a prediction fail on Orwell's part. The political class's openly stated desire for a ministry of truth to suppress misinformation on social media notwithstanding, he says there's little evidence that it needs any such brute mechanism to let it have its way with the facts. Circa, 19, or circa 2021, rather, mainstream media spend most of their ink and bandwidth uncritically regurgitating and affirming their faith in the political establishment's preferred narrative of the moment. Let that one sink in for a moment. I think that's a very accurate description of what they do. How many reporters actually push back? We're seeing a little bit of this against President Biden over the the bungling of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And that's a curious thing. It kind of makes you wonder, okay, why is the press turning on him now when they turned a blind eye to everything before? Well, perhaps that's a topic for another time. But Thomas Knapp points out the collapse of Afghanistan is a perfect example to look at, to see this and see how the press, instead of questioning and trying to to put the truth out there, put the facts out there, let the public make up their own minds, they are narrative managers in essence. He asked, how many cable news talking heads have we watched nodding at each other like chickens pecking corn as they discuss how, well, of course the U.S. had to invade Afghanistan in 2001 because the Taliban wouldn't wouldn't turn over Osama bin Laden? And the answer is quite a few. 
How many of those same talking heads even mentioned that the Taliban offered to turn over bin Laden upon presentation of evidence that he was behind the 9-11 attacks? Or that then-President George W. Bush declined the offer and chose to invade anyway? Any? And he says it's not just Afghanistan or foreign policy. From the Delta variant panic pandering of public health authorities and mainstream media, one wouldn't know that COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. are at a quarter of their pandemic high. Or given the constant emphasis on the children that COVID-19 has killed fewer than 400 Americans, that's out of a total of nearly 625,000 deaths in the under 18 age bracket since the beginning of the pandemic. Now, those public health authorities, with the aid of compliant media, have given themselves whiplash over the last 18 months from constantly reversing themselves on policy and science and treating all of us to trust them and hide under our beds. No ministry of truth had to rectify the public record to put these whoppers over on us. He says the information is freely available and it's easily accessible. But the mainstream media either doesn't want us to know or it can't be bothered to know it themselves. And for the most part, he says the same is true of the rest of us. As Orwell's language framers would put it, double plus ungood. Now, I share this with you because it, it points out the situation that you and I find ourselves in today. And that is, how can you know what's true? I share a lot of information every single day on this podcast and on this broadcast I do the best I can to find reliable sources, but I can't guarantee that everything that you're hearing is, you know, written in stone, absolute truth. It's up to you to vet that information. To, if you want to do further research, research rather, I provide the resources, I provide the links, I provide the show notes where you can actually, you know, keep pulling on that thread and see where it leads. And I wonder how many people do. I suspect that probably more than not, you know, we'll, we'll go and do this because obviously you're looking outside the, the simple, the, the easy, easily accessible sources for information. Isn't it strange, though, that so few people want to know for themselves? And I'm not saying this from the standpoint of, boy, we're so much smarter than everybody else. And, you know, everybody else is dumb and they're deceived. But perhaps you can relate if I liken it to an awakening that's taken place. I don't know the exact moment that I woke up or that I started that awakening. It's a process. It's not like flipping a light switch. I, just suddenly, I suddenly didn't become enlightened and able to see through the lies of you know public figures or politicians. So I'm still very much a work in progress. But I can tell you that once you become aware of how easily... Politicians manipulate language and how, how easily they, they will speak from one side of their mouth and then speak from the other depending on who their audience is. It's hard to close your eyes to that kind of thing again. And I'll grant you, a lot of the information that I'm looking at on a day-to-day basis, I'm, I'm zeroing in on the stuff that challenges the narrative. There's a lot of information out there. Some of it's pretty sensational, and just as a general rule of thumb, the more sensational the uh, the approach or the more sensational the delivery of whatever information you know a person or an organization is putting out the less credible they appear to me in other words the more closely i'm going to have to scrutinize what they're saying and see does this really add up 
Or, you know, are they just, you know, trying to use emotion-laden buzzwords to, you know, stampede me along with the rest of the herd in a predictable direction? Now, for some people, that can seem overwhelming. I've, I've had a very dear friend ask me, how can you look at the world this way? Trying to pick apart, you know, the narrative, trying to, to see the cracks in their story. And I suppose, you know, for, for someone who's early in that awakening process, that would, that would seem pretty overwhelming. And it would seem like a pretty negative way to see things. Now, I see it as a very positive thing because I'm just simply trying to, I'm trying to discover the truth. And when I discover what I hope is good, solid information, I do my best to pass it on to you. What you do with it is up to you. In fact, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about propaganda. Because I I want you to understand, you're listening to propaganda right now. What, are you surprised? (laughs) We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, so I ended the last segment with an admission, and hopefully that doesn't surprise you, but yeah, you you are listening to propaganda. Anytime you hear me speaking, there's propaganda taking place. But it's not as nefarious as it may sound. And, you know, for, for someone to accuse me, yeah, you know, you're spreading propaganda. There's a time I would have been very offended. Oh, hey, man, you that would make me a bad person. But see, not all propaganda is bad. I guess the question is, if someone is trying to influence your opinions, why are they doing so? What's the purpose for that uh, seeking to influence it? There's a writer by the name of C.J. Hopkins. He writes for offguardian.org. It's actually off-guardian.org. I really like this guy because he is a straight shooter. And he's got a great article here about the propaganda war. And, and one of the things he offers in this right up front is he says, the column you are about to read is propaganda. Yes, that's right. Propaganda. It isn't political satire or commentary or objective news or information or unbiased, verified scientific fact. It is propaganda, pure and simple. And that isn't a confession, a disclaimer or a warning because he says, I'm not ashamed of writing propaganda. In fact, he says most everything you see and read on the Internet and in television and in newspapers or on television in textbooks and novels on advertising billboards and everywhere else is propaganda. And his point is there's nothing wrong with propaganda. The question is who's doing it and what are they doing it for? So here's the definition from the Cambridge Dictionary. This is the definition of propaganda. Information, ideas, opinions or images often only giving one part of an argument that are broadcast, published, or in some other way spread with the intention of influencing people's opinions. Okay, so he says, this is what the column you are reading is. It's an attempt to influence people's opinion. Of course, that isn't all it is. Nothing is ever only one thing, but it is absolutely propaganda. And he says, so is everything else that you will read today. Now, he says, I'm terribly sorry if this comes as a shock, but there is no objective fantasy land in which no one is trying to persuade you of anything or pressure you or otherwise influence you to do something. It does not exist. This objective dream world where authoritative sources report the facts, where the facts are verified by neutral fact checkers, 
or ex-NSA and CIA spooks are hired as commentators by MSNBC and CNN because they care about the truth. Or science is immune to manipulation. Now, C.J. Hopkins says this fantasy is the alibi of authoritarians, cult leaders, and other assorted control freaks, and the people they've brainwashed into believing it. He says everyone, and I do mean literally, everyone is trying to persuade or convince you of something. Your friends, family, colleagues, your boss, advertisers, lobbyists, government officials, the media, artists, teachers, doctors, journalists, bloggers, Twitter bots, (laughs) etc. But he says this isn't cause for paranoia. It's a natural part of human social behavior. And in fact, it's happening right now as you read this sentence. He says, I'm trying to convince you of something. And in a moment, I'm going to urge you to do something. This is how we create reality collectively by persuading and influencing each other, or allowing ourselves to be persuaded and influenced, mostly by powerful ideological forces that do not care about us and just want to control us, but also by each other, moment by moment, with every word we speak and every action we take. Every choice we make is an advertisement, a political statement, a profession of faith, a small contribution to a work of art we are collectively creating, which is what reality is. You and I are doing it right now. He says, I'm doing my best to influence you. And you're deciding whether to let me do that, whether you trust me, whether we share the same reality. This process or this negotiation, if you will, is never ending. And he says, there's no escape from it. Pretending that it isn't happening, that we're not creating reality together with every choice we make is childish. And it's particularly dangerous at a time like this when a new form of totalitarianism is being rolled out all across the world. He says this is not the time to retreat into fantasies. In fact, there's a part one of this piece that uh, he mentions that we're in a propaganda war and we're losing. Globocap, that's kind of the establishment name, he he says, is is manufacturing a new reality, a pathologized totalitarian reality. And either you accept it and conform to it, or you oppose it. Those are the choices. There are no other choices. So, he says, all right, now that we've got that straight, let's get down to the propaganda at hand. That is what I am urging, and what it is that I'm urging you to do. He says, I think the young people call this a meme. And basically, it's, it's a tweet introducing himself. My name is C.J. Hopkins. I live in Germany. I'm banned from eating at restaurants, traveling by plane and train, attending religious ceremonies, school, cultural events, and otherwise participating in society because I refuse to convert to the new official ideology. Hashtag new normal. Then it's got a nice headshot of him. And he says, I think the young people call this a meme. It's something everyone can do. Make a tweet or post like this with your name, face, country, and details. Whatever restrictions apply to you, use the hashtag and circulate it. And he says, encourage others to do the same. Don't even mention the virus or vaccines. Focus on the totalitarianism. Make it visible. Make it personal. He says, we need the new normals to see the faces of the people they are demonizing because we won't convert to their new reality. Now, he also points out it will not make the slightest difference to the fanatics, but most of them are not fanatics. He says, most of them are simply scared and confused and utterly mind blanked as if their brains, as in their brains, um, are not working. Literally, they're no longer able to think. 
challenge them and they will either become aggressive or start robotically repeating propaganda at you like the members of an enormous cult. C.J. Hopkins says anyone who has interacted with them, and I have a feeling you probably have, knows that they are totally unreachable with facts, argumentation, and basic reasoning, not to mention common sense, which is why I've mostly given up on that and am focusing on propaganda. Propaganda programmed these people, and propaganda can deprogram them, or at least it can interfere with their current programming, even if it's just for a fleeting moment, maybe even enough to start them thinking which might lead them to questioning the official reality, which as any cult deprogrammer will tell you, is the first step toward disengaging from the cult. Yes, it's just a picture and some words, but if you doubt the power of visual propaganda, consider what Global Cap has achieved in the relatively short span of 17 months. They have imposed a new official ideology, in other words, a new reality, on societies all across the world. Seriously, think about that for a moment. They've done, they, they have literally implemented a new global reality, and they've done it primarily with propaganda, much of it visual propaganda, which functions on a primal, instinctual level. They inundated the public with images of disease, hospitals, patients on ventilators, body bags being stacked in death trucks, mass burials, people dropping dead in the streets. They forced everyone to wear medical-looking masks and to perform an ever-changing series of pointless, paranoid compliance rituals to generate an atmosphere of deadly contagion. Basically, they transformed the entire planet into an inescapable pandemic theater production in which the terrorized performers are also the audience. And they did this with, mostly with visual propaganda, images, and observed behavior. The nonsense the new normals robotically recite at us isn't meant to be believed. It's meant to be memorized and repeated verbatim like religious dogma or a customer service representative's script. And he says, if you think your tweet or your post doesn't matter, well, it's now 48 hours since I posted mine, and thousands of people all over the world are joining in with tweets and posts of their own. He even has a link there at Off Guardian where they've collected some and invited people to add their voices. Now, Twitter is suppressing the hashtag new normal, Hashtag and slapping sensitive content warnings on the tweets. Fanatical new normals furious at being shown the faces of the people they are demonizing are shrieking insults, death wishes, threats, mockery and other vitriolic abuse at us and demanding that the authorities censor us and desperately attempting to disappear us by adding the hashtag to random gibberish. Now he says they wouldn't be doing this. This wouldn't be happening if our voices didn't matter. What we're doing, he says, is basically an online version of classic nonviolent civil disobedience. We're disrupting the new official narrative, the official ideology, the official reality, even if just marginally and just for a moment. And so he says, join in. Ignore the fanatical new normal shrieking hatred at us on the Internet. Interrupt the pandemic theater performance. Make the new totalitarian visible. Make it personable for the personal rather for them and for us. He says, if you need a reminder of what the stakes are, here's a recent photo of some lovely graffiti from an unknown location somewhere in New Normal, Germany. For those who don't read German, it translates as gas the unvaccinated. I'm looking at the picture. And what's more chilling to me than the actual words there is the thought that somebody actually would would take the time to spray paint them on a wall. That's not the work of a healthy mind. 
And the worst part is there are a lot of people who would agree. That's really scary. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Thanks again for being part of my growing audience. Please visit my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Hey, while you're there, I'd like you to click on the link that I have provided for the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. It's actually an email link, so you can just drop Heather a quick note. Tell her, hey, I heard Brian talking about you. The Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage is there to help those who are looking for VA loans, traditional loans, reverse mortgages, maybe you want to refinance your existing loan. Now, this is primarily going to apply to my listeners in Utah and especially to my listeners in southern Utah. But I just want you to understand that you can count on the experience and the insight of the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, NMLS ID 715386, an equal housing opportunity lender. They're at 619 South Bluff in St. George. You can call 435-703-4522. Well, a couple different things to uh, to round out this hour of the show. A perfect example of the punitive nature of public policy can be seen in the attempts to force masks upon school children from the national level. I don't know if you've been watching this play out the last few days, but there have been a number of places where parents have pushed back, school boards have backed down. Okay, all right, we won't mandate masks for the school kids. Now, the Biden administration is stepping in using civil rights to override states who have forbidden masks or at least mask mandates for the kids in other words they're they're not preventing kids those who want to wear masks can do so but mandating it these states are saying no carrie mcdonald writing for the foundation for economic education says the back to school mask wars have been heating up for weeks but the biden administration just took them to a whole new level on wednesday the president ordered the u.s department of education to use all available measures to prohibit states from banning school mask mandates. Yes, the federal government dictate this is this is something that the Department of Education for that matter, the, the federal government involvement in education has no constitutional basis. That's authority they have seized for themselves, the word that the founders would have used is usurped for themselves. It's completely incompatible with what the role of the federal government is supposed to be. But back to Kerry's article, she says in his remarks, Biden decried the contentious school board, me- school board meetings that have occurred in districts across the country as parents argue for and against school mask mandates. He indicated that the intimidation and the threats we're seeing across the country from concerned citizens who oppose mask mandates are wrong. They're unacceptable. Yet Biden applied the same layer of intimidation and threats to governors who have banned mask mandates in public schools. The president directed Education Secretary Miguel Cardona to use all of his oversight authorities and legal actions, if appropriate, against governors who are trying to block and intimidate local school officials and educators. Now, Biden also criticized individuals who spoke out against mask mandates at a school board meeting in Tennessee last week, saying protesters threatened doctors and nurses who were testifying, making the case for masking children in schools. But he ignored the threats being made against other doctors who make the case against mask mandates. 
including one Illinois physician who says state regulators are suggesting he may lose his medical license for his position on school masking. Dr. Jeremy Heinrichs says, I've considered authoritative medical evidence that questions the necessity of mandatory masking in our schools. As a result, the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation has threatened my medical licensure unless I expressly support and enforce a mask mandate for all students. Now, the governors of eight states that have banned school mask mandates, including Arizona, Florida, Iowa, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, and Utah, have already received or will soon receive letters from the Biden administration reprimanding them for their policies and warning of potential federal action. Now, these states, it's worth noting, have banned mask mandates in schools. They have not banned masking. Individuals are free to wear masks at any time for any reason. Kerry McDonald points out the Biden administration argues that bans on mask mandates violate the civil rights of students who may be immunocompromised. It's leveraging Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 that entitles students to a free, appropriate public education, as well as Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, that forbids discrimination based on race and ethnicity. Just as a quick aside, and just to keep on hand as a rule of thumb, rights, legitimate, actual rights, limit government's power over you. Natural rights limit government's power over you. So-called civil rights increase your obligations to government. And as Joseph Sobrand described, um, civil rights more appropriately could be understood as that ever-shrinking circle of things that we're still allowed to do because government is imposing this obligation and that obligation. So one increases government's power over you, one decreases government's power or limits or shields you from government's power. Civil rights, I know, it's like, well, but without it, wouldn't people treat different? I think the Civil Rights Act was probably unnecessary, given that it created government obligations, forced association, and things like that, that people could more easily and and would have worked out for themselves. We just substituted official discrimination, you know, for private discrimination. And somehow to that, that seemed like a, like a good idea to a lot of people. Carrie McDonald says the Rehabilitation Act has been historically used to provide resources and accommodations to students with disabilities. That includes various curriculum, therapy, uh, or therapeutic rather, uh, technology and staffing supports that enable them to learn to their fullest potential. So it might, for example, provide a mechanism to enable schools to provide high quality medical grade masks to immunocompromised students. But it has not been used to mandate such masks for all other students in schools. The president's recent threats against state governors highlight a much broader, more pernicious problem, and that is the federal government, despite having no constitutional role in education, has ballooned in size and scope over the past half century and is increasingly spreading its tentacles into state and local education issues. And this is true for other sectors as well, including health care, as Biden's recent vaccine mandate for all staff in nursing homes that receive federal funds shows. Yeah, and he's also been, uh, you know shaking the the coin purse of the federal government and saying, well, you know, 
The school districts that don't tow the line of what my administration says they should tow could lose their federal funding. Boy, you better watch and see how these school districts and, and governors are. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're so sorry. You know, they're bending and groveling and scraping. That addiction to federal spending is bad news. So what's the solution? Kerry McDonald says it's decentralization. The solution is to reduce the size and scope of the federal government and to embrace the founders' vision of federalism or power dispersed to the states. As James Madison wrote in Federalist Papers number 45, the powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. When government power is decentralized to the state and local levels, there are more opportunities for experimentation and accountability, as well as a much greater ability for individuals to exercise their rights of protest and exit. So if citizens don't like certain policies, it's much easier for them to voice concerns locally or move from one city to another. When the federal government enacts policies or uses its power to pressure state and local governments to comply with federal edicts, it's much more difficult for citizens to escape the centralized control. The founders knew this, which is why they intentionally laid the foundation for a limited federal government. So as the mask wars escalate, Kerry McDonald says, and the federal government is increasingly involved, parents may find that they need to take individual action to protect their own children. This is true for parents in districts who may be upset that their schools will or will not require masks. More parents are pulling their kids out of public schools for homeschooling or other private options to avoid mask policies, whether because these policies are too strict or not strict enough. She says in the Mississippi school district, for instance, the recent voluntary mask policy prompted some parents to cheer and others to jeer. Some of the latter are unenrolling their children from district schools for private schools with mandatory mask policies. Similarly, in Alabama, a recent school school district mask mandate caused some parents to take their children out of school for homeschooling. As the Nobel Prize winning economist Friedrich Hayek said, the more state plans, the more difficult planning becomes for the individual. Government mandates, particularly those originating in the federal government, will make it much more difficult for individuals to exercise free will. And so Kerry McDonald says pushing back against government mandates and avoiding these mandates through the power of exit and peaceful noncompliance will help to curtail government overreach. She is such a great resource if you are looking into matters of education and especially school choice. I'll have a link in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Thanks again to Monticello College, Life Saving Food. And the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage for being sponsors of my show. And please check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show.